Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. This is going to be a first for me. I've never preached mainly to a camera. I know there are some people in the room, but this is a strange feeling. And if this is what most televangelists feel like, they can have it. Um, But I'm very ready to be back in person. I'm very excited to be preaching this morning. And I also want to say thanks to the leadership team that we have here at First Baptist Gray. They are doing a wonderful job helping us and guide us through these weird and unprecedented times. I know we'll be back soon to precedent at times very quickly. I also want to say thanks to Randy for giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. I know there are some pastors who don't like to give up their pulpit on Sundays, but uh, I'm thankful that he sees a need not to just equip the congregation, but also uh, those of us who are on staff. And for that, I'm very grateful. And so let's see. The last time I was up here preaching, if you had told me, that we would not be having in-person worship for the next 12 weeks, starting the very next Sunday, I probably would have laughed at you. Um, That was the last time we were all gathered together as a church body. And I was the last one to physically preach to you in person here at First Baptist. It's a weird feeling. And sometimes I think that the Lord has a sense of humor. But as Randy said a few weeks ago, the Lord was preparing us for these unprecedented times. And we had literally just preached on how the church should interact with the government. And then I got to get up and give a basic message on Christianity and what is the gospel. And then we were stuck at home. But the Lord knew that was coming. So anyways, last week we had finished up our monumental year-long study in Romans. And this week I have a little bit more foreknowledge on what what we're going to be studying in the weeks to come. And so hopefully this message will tie a little bit into our coming study in Joel Daniel, a little bit of Isaiah, and all of Revelation. And so with that, let's jump into it. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Before we do that, let's pray and invite the Lord to speak. So pray with me. Lord, you are mighty and you are merciful. Thank you for your word and giving us a chance to know you deeper. Jesus, go before us in this text and make a way. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Speak, Lord, for your servants are indeed listening. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, just Google the lyrics to the song by the birds, turn, 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 and you will get the first eight verses. Some of you will get that one, some of you won't, but it's okay. But anyways, we are in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. Read it with me. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck, what, pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, 
a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them to be, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear, fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Okay. At first read, this is an odd passage. It seems contradictory in places. It seems stoic in other places. This is a very famous passage in the Bible because of this poem that we have at the beginning. Let me tell you, this was kind of challenging to try to prepare to, prepare to preach. In fact, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is kind of challenging to preach and even read through at times. So I want to back up and try to give you some of the context of these verses. And so this whole book is kind of dark and at times depressing. This book is one of the wisdom books of the Bible. And the other notable wisdom books are Psalms and Proverbs which generally have a, a more happier tone and message, Ecclesiastes is different. The author is this kind of mysterious preacher, and tradition holds that that is Solomon. But for most of the book, this preacher is kind of having an existential crisis. And the book opens with the very cheery statement of vanity of vanities, all is vanity, which means everything is meaningless. Why do we even try? We are all going to die one day. And so right off the bat, we see that the preacher is searching for something and is crying out because he cannot seem to find it. And so this book was written as a search for meaning, a search for truth, and a search for true joy. The preacher ponders, why are we here in the first place? He is asking questions we have all asked ourselves at one point or another. What is the purpose of mankind? What is my purpose? What is the goal of life? Much like the preacher, we are all trying to find ultimate worth. And so over the course of this book, the preacher concludes that this life has no significant meaning if we do not fear the Lord and live our life for him. We can see that in the writing of the preacher that this side of heaven is messed up. But we, we can also see that, though, without even having to read Ecclesiastes. All we have to do is look around and see that this side of heaven is messed up. Even just on the surface level, this year shows that heaven, this side of heaven is messed up. Just to name a few notable news stories, in January, World War III almost started. We all forgot about that. Kobe Bryant died. Trump escaped his impeachment trial. But who would have guessed that those would not even be the top three news stories of this year? I don't have to mention COVID-19 and this global pandemic that we have. This whole year has been like this weird, messed up infomercial for just downright crazy things. It's like someone comes out and says, but wait, there's more. And they cancel baseball and the, bring out the murder hornets. And so this on the surf, this is just surface stuff though. 
This is just news stories that show us that this world is kind of messed up. But let's think a little deeper. Let's look at the senseless, meaningless-seeming death sometimes we are faced with. Just this week, Rabbi Zacharias, a man who has served the Lord faithfully and gave a robust defense of our faith, passed away from a cancer that he was diagnosed with early this year. And these stories hit close to home, but even throughout human history, death is the prevailing theme. Even all the way back to the time of when Jesus was walking on the earth, that era is known as the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace, and yet there were still wars. Every century is riddled with war and injustice and oppression. And we think to ourselves, man, this world is messed up. And the fact is, this side of heaven is messed up. But if we read the scriptures, the world was not created to be like this. And we were not created for this world alone. In the beginning, the world was created so that God was fully with his people. In the garden, we see the Lord walking with Adam and Eve. But just three chapters in, we have the fall, which brings, me, which brings in this sin and death. Sin has corrupted the world. Sin is rebellion against God. And sin is the corruption of the good things at which God has given us. And so if you're writing things down this morning, this is my first point. The world was not created to be like this. And we were not created for this world alone. So this whole theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is this preacher searching for meaning and worth, and he cannot find it in this world. In chapter one, the preacher is trying to find joy and wisdom, but concludes that that is also vanity and striving after the wind. In chapter two, the preacher is trying to find joy and pleasure and work. And yet again, he finds that that is vanity and striving after the wind. None of that matters because we are all going to die. Death is a result of the fall. The world was not supposed to be this way. Death makes the pursuit of all of these things meaningless in and of themselves. And so that brings us to chapter three. And we get this poem with these opposite times and things. And at first glance, we really want to read a lot of into this poem because it's interesting and profound sounding. And we are quick to want to dive in and try to pull out little meanings for each and every little line. But we need to take this poem as a whole. We need to see this poem as saying something as a whole, not just cut up into small little parts. The first two chapters of the book is the preacher says all is meaningless. And so here in chapter three, the preacher is giving us his proof. If we go through this poem, we see that some of the things are good, like birth, dancing, laughter, love, peace, healing. But in all these things, we see the opposite. With every suffering, we have the happiness. Well, we have, with every happiness, we have the suffering. Death, mourning, weeping, hate, war, killing. So, so why? Why are we even reading all of this if it's meaningless? Why even write this down? Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Read it with me. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. The world was not supposed to be this way. We were not supposed to have to toil most of our lives away. Work was literally one of the first curses of the fall. In Genesis 3, the Lord says to Adam, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. 
We were not created for this world alone. The passage, this poem, is a snapshot of life. It is a snapshot of the human experience. And the reason this is in there is to show that the Lord is in control and sovereign over all aspects of our life. And this was confirmed in Romans 8. He is working all things for our good. And what we need to realize about all these things listed in this poem is that they point to God as being in control. He is in control. He will make all things beautiful. The whole story of the Bible after the fall is the story of God finding, saving, and redeeming his people. The whole Old Testament is pointing to our need for a savior. And the whole New Testament is pointing to the finished saving work of Christ on the cross. He will make all things beautiful in his time. So read with me verses 12 and 13. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Okay, so these verses, they seem a little strange. If work was a result of the fall, how is it a gift? Remember, the Lord is making all things beautiful. The Lord is redeeming all things and will one day make all things new. And so we need to look at this from the form of a question. So if you're writing things down, write this question down. Where is your joy found? Where is your joy found? Realize with me, church, that if we place our joy in things of this world, our lives will be fleeting and utterly meaningless. That is what this passage is trying to get us to realize. Our lives are fleeting and ultimately meaningless if we place our joy in things that are ultimately meaningless and of this world. So think about the question. Where do you find your joy? Where do we find our joy? While you're reading this, we see that the first eight verses are this snapshot of life. And when we start to think about it, there are a lot of these things that happen to us in this life. Verse 13 says, also that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And at first, this sounds like eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But that's not true. We may die tomorrow, but the end goal is to not be happy. The rest of the Bible speaks to that. Just look at the book of Job. The, the dude is not happy for most of the book. He's just not. But these, these things are God's gift to man. Verses 1 through 8 are God's gift to man. If you are a believer and covered by the blood of Christ, then everything that is happening to make you, everything that is happening is happening to make you more like Christ. So what is our purpose if this life doesn't mean much? Well, our purpose is to become more like Christ. Our purpose is to enjoy God and worship him. We are getting ready for this life to come. We are not created for this world alone. So where is our joy found? We all have these passions. We all have these wants. And we all have these desires. Should we find joy in those? Sure, you can find some joy in those things. But they are not the ultimate goal of our lives. That joy will one day go away. And I have asked this question, and I've had people ask me this question. And at some point, all of us has asked this question or something along these lines, which is, I can't seem to figure out what the Lord's will for my life is. And if you haven't asked that question, you just haven't graduated high school, but you will one day. <laughs> but, but the problem with that is, though, this question is based really on how to get the Lord to do my will. When we say a statement like that, we are really trying to figure out which path do I really want to take in this life? We are focused on the here and now. You know, what job should I take? Where do I go? 
In reality, what we are asking is, how can I get my wants and desires and passions to serve me? Instead, we need to ask, how can I do the will of the Lord? How can I use my wants, my desires, and my passions to do the will of the Lord? How can I join God? Instead of asking, how can I get God to join me? So let's think about that. If we really want to know what the Lord's will for our life is, we need to understand what the Lord's will is. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. The answer to that question, we only need to look in Matthew. Jesus says that there at the end of Matthew, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So boom, there's the answer to the million dollar question. What does the Lord want to do? What, what do I need to do with my life? Go and make disciples. When you are making decisions in this life, don't make the wants, desires, and passions the end goal. Making disciples is the end goal of our lives. If you want to go into politics, great, make disciples. If you want to be a surgeon, awesome, make disciples. You want to be a teacher, I love it, make disciples. The Lord has given us all of these wants and these desires and these passions so that in whatever you do, you go and make disciples of Christ. The wants, desires, and passions are God's gift to you so that you can best serve and make disciples in this life. So where is your joy found? Is your joy found in this daily rhythm of life where your end goals are yourself? Or is your joy found in Christ? You will not be able to find true joy in this life apart from the only one who can give true joy. Is your joy found in creation or the creator? So look with me at verses 11 and then 14 and 15. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what, he has, been, what has been driven away. Okay, so this is really important. If you're writing things down, write this one down. Eternity is calling. Verse 11 says we cannot fully understand eternity, but it is on our hearts. We are all yearning for eternity to come. The Lord has given us all these passions and these wants and desires that do not in and of themselves give us true joy. Remember, everything happens to us in this life to make us more like Christ. It is preparing us for this world to come. C.S. Lewis said it best in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Eternity is calling. All of us at one point in time or another have wondered what is going to happen when we die. And no matter what you believe or what your worldview is, you have thought about it. I have thought about it. Everyone has thought about it. What is going to happen when we die? And kind of given the nature of what's been going on in our world, more people have been asking the question of what happens when the world ends? What happens at the end of all things? And I'm not going to try to tackle that second question this morning, but we are going to walk through passages of the Bible that speak about the end of all things in the weeks to come. Now, I'm going to answer the question about what happens when this life is over and your physical body is cold and in the ground because we are all going to experience eternity. 
this passage gives us some insight about the nature of man and the nature of God in eternity. And first, as mankind, we are, we are finite beings, which means we have a beginning and we have an end here on this earth. And we have limited knowledge, which means we do not know everything or have all of the answers. And secondly, we're mortal, which means everyone who hears this sermon today will die and be forgotten by history. Now about God, this passage tells us that God is eternal, which means he has no beginning and has no end. He has always been. And this is one of the things that we really struggle to understand about God. Because if you think about it, sit there and think about it. Try to imagine eternity. You can't. You can't actually fully imagine what eternity is going to be like. But we all know it's coming. God is the author of all things. He has set eternity on our hearts. In one way or another, all of us are looking to eternity. Eternity is calling. In this life, we have the pursuit of being made more like Christ. But we will be never made fully like Christ until that day comes in which we pass into eternity. Eternity is calling. In eternity, we will see things as they are. We will see God face to face. And he will either say, welcome my good and faithful servant. Or he will say to us, depart from me for I never knew you. And the only way you will hear that first statement is that if you place your trust in the finished work of Christ, and find true joy in the creator. Eternity is calling. In eternity, there will be no other day. All days will be present now. In eternity, all of our seeking for joy and truth will be answered. We will be brought to where you can taste joy and truth like a good steak and embrace it as a friend. We will be brought to the source and our thirst shall be quenched. Eternity is calling. And so with that in mind, I'm going to leave you with a question. None of what I have said or what has been said here today matters without this question. Who will you serve? Ask yourself, who will you serve in this life? Are you going to serve yourself? Are you going to serve your wants, your passions, or your desires? Are you going to live this life chasing after things that will ultimately be gone and not matter? This too is vanity and ultimately meaningless? Or are you going to serve Christ? Are you going to use your wants and your desires and your passions to serve the body of Christ and to make disciples? Who are you going to serve today and the rest of your days? Who are you going to place your trust in? Eternity is calling. And one day we will all have to give an account for whom we have served. How will you answer the Lord? Who will you serve today? Pray with me. Lord, you are mighty and you are merciful. Lord, thank you for your word and that through it we may know you deeper. Lord, thank you for your church and that we were able to join you in carrying out our will, carrying out your will. Lord, if anyone is listening today does not know you and has not placed their trust in you, we ask you to save them. Lord, become real in their life. Show them they need a savior, that they are sinful and that one day they will die and when apart from you, They will spend eternity separated from you in in true joy. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for this church and the church across the world. And Lord, we ask these things in your name so that we know you hear us. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus and give Jesus away. Thank you.